Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why and the new BBC adaptation of Evelyn Waugh's Decline and Fall. We've also tried the graphic novel Becoming Unbecoming for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've had loads of great emails and stuff from you this week and several lovely iTunes reviews. So thank you so much for those. It really helps. It definitely does. So I've got an email here, Caroline, from someone called Tess, who emails us with regards to our discussion about Riverdale. She says, I'm sure you've both probably received this recommendation before, but having heard your problems with Riverdale, I thought it was a good time to suggest that you check out Pretty Little Liars. This is a programme that both our sisters are really into, both our younger sisters. We're obviously just like not young and cool enough (laughs) for Pretty Little Liars. She says, all seven seasons are on Netflix and it does what Riverdale is attempting to do much more successfully. She says she's a super fan and massive biased but it sustains the teen soap and mystery elements much more successfully than Riverdale. She also says if you're not yet convinced Pretty Little Lies is about four girls so it's instantly more engaging and their friendship dynamic is the real driving force of the show. <sighs> really sounds like something we should check out. It We're does, like yeah. so late to the party but I feel like we should still give it a go. Yeah definitely. I've got another email here from Stephanie who says that she particularly enjoyed our evisceration of Ed Sheeran's latest offering. As an Irish girl, I found his description of the beer slash whiskey guzzling eponymous girl objectionable and relished your critiques. Oh. So thank you very much, Stephanie. It's good to know that we weren't the only ones. And then she goes on to say, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Rick and Morty, a show I was introduced to by my boyfriend and initially hated, but have since gone on to do a complete 180 on. If you can get past the burping and constant name dropping, it tackles serious thought-provoking themes with a refreshing poignancy. Oh, I love burping, so I'll be into that. I mean, no on-screen burp will ever be as good as Robert Durst's True. <laughs> burps of guilt, but uh, <laughs> but I'll enjoy that for sure. I have an email here from Ruth, who introduces herself with our favourite opening, long-time listener, first-time emailer. She says that when we were talking about Missing Richard Simmons and its overly podcasty productionness, she immediately thought of My Favourite Murder, which is basically like listening to two cool friends talking about true crime the way loads of people do after listening to Serial or watching Making a Murderer. There's no background music or recorded interviews, just straight-up interesting true crime stories told by two funny ladies. So that sounds really fun. That does sound really fun. So thanks, Ruth, who signs off her email. Thank you for making such a tip-top pop culture pod, which I love. That's really hard to say. He's like an old-timey gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thanks, Ruth. I've got an email here from Elizabeth who emails mostly to recommend us a web series called Her Story, which we're definitely going to check out. But I particularly wanted to highlight her PS where she says, I felt the same as you about Prune, maybe too much style over substance. This is the mobile game that we tried out last week. And then she goes on to say, A Dark Room is a great mobile game, light on graphics, but heavy on story and strangeness. It's one that will have you checking your phone every five minutes at work for new developments. Oh, great. So I'm quite intrigued by that. Me too. And I would encourage more people to send us addictive mobile games with good (laughs) stories and graphics. Yes, please do. Um, Because we're like a trendy multimedia pod, while we have had a lot of emails, I've got a Tumblr ask here. This is awesome because I'd forgotten that we have a Tumblr. We do have a Tumblr. This comes from Bianca, who describes herself as a fan from an archipelago far, far away. She's from the Philippines, so thanks, Bianca. And she just says, I wanted to say that I agree so much with your Riverdale commentary. As a fan of the Archie comics, I was so confused when I started watching it. The dialogue is extremely bad, but I can't stop watching. It's so bad, it's good. LMAO, which is exactly how we felt. <laughs> yeah. And she also recommends The Good Place and Big Little Lies, two things that have long been on my watch list. I think I'm in danger of conflating Big Little Lies and Pretty Little Liars. Oh, Caroline. I think Big Little Lies is like Pretty Little Liars, but with older women. Big, like the big sister of. <laughs> oh, okay. That that will help. Lar- uh, larger women. <laughs> larger. <laughs> taller. <laughs> So finally, I just wanted to read a bit of this amazing email from Anna, who begins, long time listener, first time, dot, 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 well, you know the drill, she says. Actually, I can produce credentials about my long term listenership. You might remember many, many episodes ago that my best friend Lucy wrote to you about loneliness and how much she missed her friend who was moving to Japan, aka me. You recommended The Lonely City by Olivia Lang, which we both then purchased in hardcover, read, wrote notes in, and then exchanged via mail, her in Australia, me in Japan, so that we could feel a little more connected to each other. That was the first, but certainly not the last time seriously helped us stay afloat. Oh my god, that like literally makes me want to cry and breaks and fills my heart with joy at the same time. I what know. an amazing email. So lovely. So I'm Anna, I'm really glad that you and Lucy have managed to make your friendship work long distance and that we have helped in some small way. That's amazing achievement, guys. Well done. So the first thing that we're going to talk about this week is 13 Reasons Why, a new Netflix original series based on the best-selling young adult novel by Jay Asher. Executive produced by Disney slash pop star Selena Gomez, it sees protagonist Clay discover tapes left behind by his late friend Hannah Baker, who uses the tapes to explain the 13 reasons why she took her own life. Hey, it's Hannah. Hannah Baker. Holy shit. Settle in, because I'm about to tell you the story of my life. More specifically, why my life ended. And if you're listening to this tape, you're one of the reasons why. So it's quite a depressing premise from the start. It is, and I feel like you really get an insight into this drama when the first thing that flashes up before the first episode is a if you are affected by any of the issues discussed in this show you know please call the following numbers and I feel like for me this premise not to trivialize it in any way because obviously teen suicide is a massive problem but it's also a kind of fantasy like what if I died and I told you 
that it was your fault, then you'd all feel bad. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I, that's exactly how I felt because I thought this show is the logical endpoint of that, well, you'll be sorry when I'm dead type mm-hmm. thing that a We've teenager felt, yeah. might snap at someone. Yeah. You know, I think you and I are only, well, I've watched four episodes, you've watched less. I've less only than watched that. like one in a bit. So we don't know how it turns out yet, although I think we do want to keep watching. We don't know whether, you know, what happens to, uh, is it revealed that Hannah's actually still alive, like watching all of this unfold, or is the device of the tapes actually what it appears to be a kind of last ditch attempt to make everyone feel sorry for how they treated her or what is it Mm -hmm. you know there is a a sort of element of mystery there as well as narrative device right whatever the reasons turn out to be i mean we're not i I imagine we're getting one per tape right yeah so well it seems to be that each side of each cassette focuses on a particular individual Mm-hmm. and and each one of the, those people is a reason yes so the first reason that i've got this isn't too much for spoiler is that she has her first kiss and uh, a rumor goes around that it was a lot more than her first kiss and she gets slut shamed and there are pictures shared of her in a compromising position and so on and I, I get the sense that that's one of the reasons right yes so like again not that big of a spoiler i think it's maybe the fourth episode slash reason focuses on the school's yearbook photographer who she discovers has been stalking her and like hiding outside her bedroom window taking pictures Mm. of her in you know when she didn't think anyone was there and she gets really scared and frightened and the reason that that coalesces into is that he made not even her home feel like a safe place for her Mm -hmm. yeah so we get all these different reasons poor hannah lots of stuff going on but i think the 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 flip side to like is this that typical quite impulsive fantasy of like you'll be sorry is that it's drawing attention to things that you might not think are that bad yeah. right so it's like each one of these characters might be like the thing that i did wasn't that bad but it's exploring how these things can have a really big impact on a person especially at that time in your life i think Yes, and there have been a few hints so far already in what I've watched that Hannah is maybe not the authoritative voice that we are led by the show structure to think that she is. Like one of her former friends, Alex, has a a brief conversation with Clay, the main protagonist, saying, do you actually believe everything that you're hearing on these tapes? Mm. And Clay's like, well, I don't know. And Alex is like, he doesn't want to talk about it, but the one thing he does say before he shuts the whole conversation down is, you know it's just full of lies you know one of the accusations on his side was that alex hannah and a third friend jessica used to meet up all the time at this cafe called monet's and Mm -hmm. it was like their thing that they did together and on the tape she's like alex was the first to stop coming then jessica then it was just me and the way the show illustrates this is it likes this trope a lot like people fading out of a static scene so Mm -hmm. you see her sitting at a table and then alex fades out and then jessica fades out and alex is like she was the first one who stopped coming right so he's casting doubt on even basic factual things Mm -hmm. um never mind her broader interpretations yeah so whilst at the stage i'm at all the kids are adhering to this kind of code of we mustn't talk about the tapes then an adult might find out Mm -hmm. and everything will go wrong there are just these little hints that maybe not everyone is you know swallowing her whole narrative yeah so the fact that this show is structured around these tapes means that narrative voiceover is a massive part of how the show's story is told and we get sort of these these voiceovers overlapping with different kind of flashbacks and the present day clay listening to these tapes so clay might be listening to a tape and then he'll look at 
a certain place that he was in with Hannah and a flashback will begin. And like you say, you get these weird fade outs between Mm. an actual scene and a flashback and vice versa. And I feel like Clay gets this like quite useful injury on his head quite early on. So that every time it like cuts between flashbacks and the present day, you can tell whether it's like modern Clay or like six months ago Clay by whether he's got like this big head injury on his face and big plaster, which is very useful. But I feel like because of the prominence of that voiceover, this has a lot in common with some of the podcasts we've done on the show, especially that like gathering information retrospectively. Of course, this is fictional, but I felt like that opening to the first episode where she's like, hello, do not adjust your sets. Like even something like Welcome to Night Vale or something has a sort of tonal similarity there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. And it's one of the things that, I think makes this show less bingeable and addictive feeling than it might otherwise is the fact that the voiceover becomes a bit repetitive Mm. in the same way that when even at the height of my serial obsession I was quite glad that they were releasing an episode a week rather than doing what they've just done with the new serial podcast S-Town where they've just dropped all seven episodes in one go Mm. I quite liked getting a break from Sarah Koenig's voice Mm. Because I feel like I would unjustly come to hate it if I was listening to it all the time Mm -hmm. where it's just, you know, repetitive. And I feel like that's something that you have with 13 Reasons Why, that I get a bit bored of Hannah controlling the show, as Mm -hmm. it were. I want some other perspectives, but you don't get any other perspective. It is unrelenting. Sometimes I really like her voiceover and sometimes I find it a little bit clunky that the Mm. way it's written. Like in one of the episodes I watched, she has a few lines that are something like, that's how the game works. And to win the game, you have to do this. But remember it's not a game and yeah. you're like wait what that was all meaningless everything you just said <laughs> and uh, there are points at which it slightly stretches the bounds of credulity as well in that one of the more shading into ridiculous scenes i've seen so far is in the stalker episode you get a kind of porous flashback where you see hannah standing outside the stalker guy's window with the tape recorder and she's talking into it and she's saying i'm doing to you what you did to me i'm standing outside your window you don't know i'm here but at the same time you can see clay standing outside the same window because he's been directed there by the tapes there's a little map that comes with them and they're sort of standing next to each other but obviously she's not really there. He can't actually Mm -hmm. see her. And just somehow this weirdness of seeing her standing there on her own with a like karaoke style microphone whispering into it. I was like, no, that's not, Mm. this didn't happen. This feels unbelievable to me. The retro tech element. I get that she has a line somewhere where she's like, this was never meant to be easy. Otherwise I would be doing this on an MP3 that you could email to all your friends. Mm. But it does seem unnecessarily laborious for all involved. Yeah, there is that. But I quite liked the dichotomy it sets up because a lot of the things that she talks about having harmed her are... 21st century phenomenons like you know being able to group text a compromising photo to half the school at the Mm -hmm. same time she's been she feels really wounded by communications and easy communication i guess so yeah that's a good point you know she's using methods where you can't just thoughtlessly disseminate Mm -hmm. something and you can't scroll to the end and see what happens you have to listen all the way through yeah and she wants people's full attention so she's creating something attention grabbing exactly she's making the way it's packaged as 
sort of titillating as what's on it which is is interesting i think you know it also just plays into a like stranger things style lust for nostalgia mm. right in, mm. in the viewer mm-hmm. i was also interested by the opening credits show a cassette an animated like cassette wheel moving and then it morphs into bike wheels because clay like cycles everyone his bike he's cycling around the town looking at key locations from hannah's life mm-hmm. and i felt like there was a bit of a a bleed over there as well that you know clay has a bike he's a nerd yeah, he doesn't yeah. have a cool car like his friends he's like the cassettes you know yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's retro and you know unwanted yeah very true um and i think this is it does have that and i don't want to stereotype by genre too much but it does have that young adult feel definitely when you like read a young adult novel and you feel compelled to find out what happens next i know know you say you didn't find it as addictive as some podcast series but i'm genuinely interested to see what happens in terms of the plot more than i am to see what happens in terms of like i don't know the aesthetic of the show or the the style of drama that it's offering if you know what i mean yeah it's an interesting difference from riverdale in that isn't it? Because when we talked about Riverdale, we said that, you know, it does have this murder mystery plot, but both of us find just the aesthetics and the character relationships far more Mm -hmm. interesting. And, you know, who killed Jason Blossom is really at the back of the mind. At the back of the mind until they actually directly address it in the show. I forget that it's happening. Mm -hmm. Whereas in 13 Reasons Why, I'm only really going to continue watching it to find out a what happened to hannah really mm-hmm. and b whether there's some kind of twist or trick in the show's format how much should we invest in clay and how much is, she, is he gonna end up being someone really horrible I and, don't there's, know. and there's also the hinted at mystery of clay's friend tony who seems to know more than seems to on. know more than he's letting on and little bits dribble out that suggest that he's maybe hannah's accomplice in some way mm-hmm. in disseminating the tapes yeah so interesting if not groundbreaking Yeah, definitely. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Now we're going to talk about Decline and Fall, which is a new adaptation of Evelyn Waugh's 1928 novel of the same title. It stars Jack Whitehall as Paul Pennyfeather, a theology student unjustly expelled from Oxford, who then becomes a teacher at a boarding school in Wales. It also features David Suchet as the headmaster, Dr Fagan, and Eva Longoria as Paul's crush, Margot Best Chetwind. Yeah, so it's kind of a strange beast, this adaptation, right? It is, rather. It's a three-part BBC adaptation of... Uh, I wouldn't say fully classic novel, but a novel by a writer that is generally considered to be classic. Yeah, a fully classic author. Yes, but this is one of his pre-Brideshead revisited novels that maybe only people who like study him at university or are real enthusiasts will actually come across mm-hmm. and i don't know it seems to have really divided the critics this adaptation not least because of the presence of jack whitehall yeah who is someone that we're more used to seeing in e 4 comedies like fresh meat he's got his bbc3 comedy show bad education yeah there's something quite modern about him so it's quite weird to see him in this period role even if he is that sort of classic posh boy yeah, but I feel like he, in his stand-up and his you know panel show appearances and stuff, has updated the classic posh boy for the 21st century because mm-hmm. he's the kind of self-hating posh person, right? He gets the laughs for saying ludicrously posh things, but you feel okay to laugh at it because he knows it's ridiculous too and he's a bit sorry about it. Yeah, and there's a whole thing with Jack Whitehall's dad being like a comedy mm. figure as well. He like gets his like severe kind of judgy dad onto things so that you're meant to be like oh i get why jack whitehall is the way he is and is so kind of self-hating and neurotic and like wishes he was more masculine and Um, he defines himself against that as well right i'm a different kind of posh yeah so it's quite funny then to see him in this more traditional role even if it is a comedy role and it is a posh boy role there are some natural elements to the casting decline and fall just as a story Apologies if I'm about to spoil a novel that's getting on for 100 years old, but not really, sorry. Is a satire. It's quite a dark satire about British institutions and the class system. As I said, you know, you see a a sort of middle class, quite nerdy theology student Mm. get chucked out of university for something that wasn't really his fault because the Bollinger Club, clearly based on the Bullingdon Club, have run wild through a college and trashed a load of stuff, but they just get fines because they're untouchably rich and posh whereas Paul can't pay the fines that he gets chucked out and then he descends into this seam of society which is full of people who have all the class credentials like they went to the right public school or they have Mm -hmm. the right accent or they dress the right way but they are awful or failures Mm -hmm. and in war's world this is the world of being a schoolmaster that's what those people do yeah and I feel like it's one of those things where the characters are slightly more archetype than character Mm. in a way and you get that both with the Jack Whitehall character and with the stern but hypocritical and kind of apathetic headmaster and these other characters who are there more to illustrate the holes in the school system than to be like fully formed people right yes exactly so i think david suchet is really good in this adaptation of marrying the pompousness of someone who wants to be known as the head of a great school and a great institution with someone who can't be asked to actually do anything Mm -hmm. he's incredibly lazy he doesn't actually care about any of the kids that he's looking after yeah there's a really good moment i thought in the first episode jack whitehall's character has to organize a sports day and one of his fellow masters who is drunk i think yeah they're all drunk a lot (laughs) they're all seemingly drunk all the time he borrows a pistol from I think he's supposed to be a kind of reformed gangster Mm. who also works at the school to be the starting gun for the race and accidentally shoots one of the kids in the foot and you actually get this close up yeah it's really horrible like 
the kid clutching his foot and blood everywhere. And everyone, including the child's own mother, just stands there going, oh, well, that's an awful nuisance, isn't it? Mm. So that's, I think, part of war demonstrating people's total callousness. Like these posh people, they just don't give a shit about anybody. Yeah, and it does do that very well. But I have to say, I found this the kind of thing where maybe a tiny voice in the back of your head is like, ha ha, see what you did there, rather than yes. being like, oh my God, this is actually funny and I'm crying. Because of the nature of it being very stylized and very satirical, I think means it's not that laugh out loud and it doesn't necessarily feel that real. Not at all, yeah, quite. It's not laugh out loud funny. No. And I think the adaptation definitely is full of those kind of laughs that are like aha i am laughing to show that i understand the joke (laughs) not i am genuinely amused by this yeah and that is something that i think it has lost slightly from the novel because what the novel has is evelyn war's brand of total absurdity where seemingly just random stuff happens that just makes you laugh from its sheer ridiculousness in concert with the sort of darker satire like and you got tiny little bits of that in the adaptation, which I did like. For instance, when Jack Whitehall's character is facing his fifth form class for the first time and he's trying to do a register or ask them what their names are, and they just all say that their name is Tangent. What's your name? Tangent, sir. Very good. And yours? Tangent, sir. You can't both be called Tangent. We are, sir. No, sir, they're not called Tangent. I'm Tangent. No, sir, I'm Tangent. I really am. There's only one Tangent in the room, sir, and that's me. He's not tired. Oh, come on. Quiet, please. Tangents. Stop, please. For no reason whatsoever. In a, like, Spartacus moment. Yeah. But they're not protecting anyone. They're literally just trying to wind him up. They're just trying to wind him up. And the novel has a lot more of that kind of stuff. And I think when I first read it in my late teens, that was very much my sense of humour. And so I actually found those bits genuinely funny. Yeah. And either I've moved on from that or the adaptation doesn't put it across so well, but I didn't so much in this case. Yeah, the only moments I found myself really laughing at were like those opening scenes where Jack Whitehall is all sad and he's being sent down. And I couldn't tell whether I was laughing because his performance was actually funny or because I was like, what is going on? Are we meant to take this as sincerity? Is this meant to be like a sincere performance? Because it's kind of hovering between the two things. He's a bit like the straight man, I guess, in that moment Mm. who kind of is acting seriously, but it's funny. Um, so yeah, I did quite like those bits at the at the start, but I was also feeling like, wait, is this actually the joke or is this just <laughs> bad? I don't know. There are also some layers of contemporary satire that have been inserted into this that I am not sure about. For instance, in the first like three minutes or something, you see the rampaging Bollinger Club in their white tie and tails throw a pig's head out of the window, mm. the quad, and that is not in the Evelyn War book, I'm just <laughs> going to say. And it didn't go anywhere. Like It's not referenced again, and it's just... A bit of BBC be like, look at us, we're so sharp. I haven't read the novel, but from what I've gathered from listening to you talk about it, the point of the novel's ending is to be a bit like, hey, everyone, look, this is continuing throughout the centuries. Yes, the whole thing with the novel is that it's a circular plot Mm -hmm. in that Paul ends up exactly back where he was before, back at college as a slightly down and out student, earnestly studying to be in the church despite having had all of these adventures with various levels of criminality involved mm-hmm. he gets off scot-free gets to start back right back where he was and the same kind of night is described where the bollinger club are rampaging around the fellows are rubbing their hands at the idea of all the fines they're going to get and the overall message is that nobody learned anything nothing changes everything stays the same and the rich get away with it 
no matter what. Yeah, so in that way, I kind of like the pig mm, because it's yeah. like it's literally still happening to our actual prime ministers. But unlike the news that David Cameron had fucked a pig. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> we should say. It didn't make me laugh. And that news did. Yeah. That's so that true. was funnier. That was more entertaining to me than this decline and fall adaptation. So last week, Caroline and I decided to have a look at Becoming Unbecoming, which was a listener recommendation. It's a graphic novel, and it's about a girl growing up in Yorkshire in the 70s against the backdrop of the Yorkshire Ripper murders. So it's a really unusual piece of work, but one that I was really gripped by. Same. I found it really moving. Mm. And we should say anyone with sort of triggers for sexual assault and stuff should approach this discussion and this book advisedly, really, because it's a very intense experience reading it. It's written by someone called Una. Mm -hmm. We don't know any more about the author. And she writes and draws, as you say, about her childhood, but also about the hunt for the so-called Yorkshire Ripper, the police mistakes and problems there were with that investigation, but then also draws it all together into this incredible survey of structural sexism and misogyny and abuse, really. Mm, and her own yeah experiences with sexual assault, and they are quite traumatic, you're right. And I think... One of the things that's interesting to me about this is we so often, and Una points this out in her work, we so often like mythologize these big graphic stories of violence against women. The Yorkshire Ripper case is a case that everyone in the UK knows about. I'm sure some people in, the, in America know all about it too. And it's just got a real cultural legacy. And we often say things like, oh yeah, this had such a, you know, it's changed the landscape. But we never talk about what that means in terms of actual people's lives like mm. what does it mean to grow up near this or knowing about this how how could that impact on someone's life and I think what's amazing about this graphic novel is that it ties those things together so seamlessly and can talk about what it's like to be a really young woman who's reading newspaper articles telling you not to go outside at night also surrounded by young men shouting at you that you're a slut all the time Th those connections become like really striking and clear. And there's so many ways that the art and the art style in this book really hammer home her points. There are a few occasions where she illustrates the whole damned if you do, damned if you don't position that young women are put in in relation to sex, where she, she'll draw the same circumstance. For instance, young women saying no, refusing to take part in some so-called fun activity with a man and then he calls her frigid. Mm. And then the exact same sequence of panels, but she says yes, and then she's called a slut. Yeah, or even more dramatic that, that both times she's called a slut because the guy is like, why, why won't you do that with me? Mm -hmm. You must be doing it with other people. You're a slut. Or yes, you really want to do it. You want to do that with me. Oh, you're a slut. Like Exactly. So just repeating the images mm. shows that the exact same circumstance, there is no way that she can win, that she can come out of it intact and well. 
Yeah, and I think another way the, the graphic novel format really helps this work is that so much of what she's talking about, particularly with her own response to the violence that she experienced, is how impossible it was to talk about it because she didn't really have any reference points, but also because people didn't really want mm. to talk about it with her. And so you get images of her, like, there's a really powerful image. She op- One of the opening scenes shows her with a sack full of Christmas presents because she says she loved Christmas and she used to pretend to be Santa with a pillowcase full of presents. And that pillowcase evolves into a sort of burden Mm. on her back as the graphic novel continues. And sometimes it's kind of like a a blank speech bubble that she's got over her shoulder and it's almost like that weight of silence on on her back. Yes, things like that really like powerfully illustrate things that you actually can't write down very accurately sometimes. Yeah, it's it's so, so clever. And... I'm so grateful to listeners for recommending it because I don't know how I would have come across it otherwise. No, me neither. And it's just great because it's we've read a lot of graphic novels about coming of age, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And this is one that is sort of very close to my experience in it. It's like a young British woman, but very far because she has so many things that obviously have never happened to me, but also the 70s is such a different, even though it's relatively recent, it's such a different backdrop mm-hmm. to my coming of age. So yeah, I really valued it for that. So for next week, we're going to look at a TV show, one that several of you have recommended, including Mimi and Lucy. Thank you very much. Which is This Is Us, which I think was shown on Channel 4 here, but originates in America. Mm -hmm. Mimi sums it up well in her email when she says, it's an American drama that spans two generations and jumps back and forth from the 1970s to the present day. And then she says, I cannot fathom how every single episode makes me sob brokenly. Yeah, I've actually seen the first couple of episodes of this, so I will continue for next week. And oh, I really got into it immediately because I love Milo Ventimiglia and he has a big uh, role in this. I did not realise he was in this. Jess from Gilmore Girls. Yeah, he's an older character in this. And yeah, I'm really excited to dig into it a little bit because... Yeah, in fact, I think I've only seen one episode, so very keen to look further. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including iTunes, where you could also leave us a review. At our website, seriouslypod.com, you can find all our back episodes, plus our specials on Home Alone, Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and friends. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.